Welcome to Appalachian Shine, the official podcast for the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement. And if you're listening to this, then consider yourself a part of the team. Stick around and let's shine a light on all things Appalachia. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Appalachian Shine. We certainly appreciate it. And because this is November, and I've pitched this for a, a few few episodes, we are doing Meet the Directors this month. And we're honored to have Tara Maynard, uh, our most recent director, our, most, our newest addition to the board, uh, on with us today. Tara, how are you doing? How's Eastern Kentucky or Western Kentucky? No, Eastern Kentucky today, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a... Uh... Still, I guess you could say Eastern Kentucky, uh, Somerset, Kentucky, and Pulaski County. I'm doing pretty good, JC. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Pulaski County. That's I was kind of confused last night. I couldn't remember which county. I knew it was Somerset. I was like, is there Somerset County? I'm trying to remember. There's yeah, so many- yeah. It took me a long time. But, uh, but Pulaski County, um, for those who don't know where Pulaski County is, uh, give them kind of a roundabout explanation of how, like, how far are you from, say, Pikeville or yeah, actually, I drive on that road pretty often. Um, I moved to Pulaski County here in Somerset about, I guess, in, in uh, late July of this year. Um, and I was living in Pike County, Kentucky, where I was born and raised. Um, my brother on Ratliff Creek Holler. Um, so anyway, if you are leaving Pike County and you're driving towards um, Presenceburg, you'll hop on 80 there and you'll go out west. You'll pass uh, London, and then on the other side of London, about 30, 45 minutes on 80, uh, you'll run into Somerset, Kentucky. Okay. And that's where I'm living at now. All right. How do you like it out there? It's different. I do. I like it. Um, I like the scenery and the rolling hills. The sunsets are really nice. Um, I'm still getting used to uh, the wind. You know, out in eastern Kentucky, <laughs> we're protected by our mountains. So getting used to that but I, I like it out here nice so yeah it's, it's very different I get, I get to Pikeville from time to time I guess you still work there some right yes, um, yes. tell us a little bit about what you do for a living and um kind of how, yeah. how you kind of met us here at the foundation tell us a little bit about that okay story. yeah it's actually um a really nice story so back in say December um I was looking for um, new employment um, after COVID, you know, the job market was opening back up and I wanted to do something that was a little more meaningful to me, something that I could feel like I was contributing and giving back to my community. And at one point I was like, you know, maybe, maybe look at some colleges and universities, see what research and programs they have out there. Um, and I started uh, looking around. I looked at, at UK and Moorhead and a couple of other places. And I came across uh, Kentucky State University, which um, in the past I wasn't as familiar with as I am now. 
Um, and what really drew me to Kentucky State was this research um, on reclaimed mine lands in Eastern Kentucky that um, Dr. Budi Gawali was heading up. And one day I, I just decided, hey, you know, you're Eastern Kentuckian. You, you grew up around reclaimed mine lands and the surface mine and underground mining. Why don't you uh, reach out to him and give him a call or shoot him an email? So I did. And he pretty much immediately reached back out to me. And uh, we met uh, not long after that and, and sat down and had an interview. I told him about my um, education. I have a bachelor's degree in geology from Eastern Kentucky University, um, where I also uh, picked up a GIS cert. Um, and then, you know, after graduation and internships, I practiced um, as a GIS analyst for a few years. So I felt that maybe I could um, be a good contributor to the research um, with my familiarity with the region itself um, and maybe um, my background as a GIS analyst and, and my geology education could uh, benefit the research for this. And uh, so then I started there um, in January of this year and I've been there ever since. We, we are doing... Um, different uh, things out in Eastern Kentucky as far as the research side goes. But our biggest thing right now that we're working on is getting our survey out um, and talking with folks about the reclaimed land properties. Um, I don't know if you know this, JC, and I'm sure other Eastern Kentuckians may or may not know this, uh, the majority of reclaimed land properties as surface mining um, is owned by local residents. So we want to, to conduct more research and contribute to um, what's going on out there already with reclaimed mine lands um, as far as reclamation activities go um, for tourism. You know, there's already golf courses. Um, there's been um, the Knott County Sports Flex Center. Um, there, there's two really cool things with uh, reclaimed mine lands that I like. Um, it's a trail ride there in Knott County. It's the Knott County Trail Ride. And it's, I want to say it's called Mike's Cabin. Let me see here, but. And that actually sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't want to get it wrong. So it's the Knott County Trail Ride and the Mine Made Park in Knott County. And they're connecting all the reclaimed mine lands together through this trail ride. And folks are bringing their ATVs, the horses out. Um, and allowing them to set up their, their campers or RVs or whatever they may have um, on top of these reclaimed mine lands and just kind of be able to hang out with their family and friends. Um, it also supports some local businesses, um, like small businesses. There's local vendors that have um, different varieties of food, like pulled pork, um, that come up there. And so it's, it's supporting um, the economy in, in that aspect with the tourism. Now, a lot of folks who may not be familiar with the coal fields and, and, and you know, parts of central Appalachia that are maybe from other parts of Appalachia listening, yeah. I guess they think, you know, you know, the, the dirty coal fields and, and, you know, how you know, dirty and unsanitary those areas are. But they're actually very cleaned up and very, very pristine, um, kind of like national park areas would, you would find. Right. I mean, yeah, some of them are, um, though, especially. Um, I will say this, the, the surface mines and surface mining activity that's 
come post and after, you know, the Reclamation Act in 1977, um, the, the government wanted to put more, um, I guess, uh, strenuous regulations on um, how um, mine owners and operators were conducting surface mining to mitigate the environmental impacts, um, as well as to provide funding for the abandoned mine land project because before 1977, a lot of mines were abandoned in the area um, and posed um, quite a hazard to human health as well as, as the environment. So um, the way that they're reclaiming these lands to be able to be used for what we were talking about uh, for certain reclamation like the trail ride and the ATV ride, um, it's benefiting the local communities to a really great extent. Um, and through our research, you know, looking at, you know, obviously the different environmental impacts to make it, to monitor that, to make sure that there's no, um, I guess, increase to the pollutants that are um, around the area. But like you were saying, these areas are, are being reclaimed back into really beautiful landscape um, that, you know, previously they weren't if, if it wasn't being reclaimed properly. And the utilization of this land um, is just endless. The possibilities are endless when we work together with the community. So doing this survey and seeing how folks in Eastern Kentucky want to utilize their reclaimed mine lands. And if they've tried, you know, what's been their barrier? What can we do to try to figure out um, either maybe some workshops or is there some funding that um, folks have opportunities to get to um, improve their land? Um, and kind of just doing a survey of what's going on with reclaimed mine lands in Eastern Kentucky. Um, and there's also some um, different aspects to the research as well. Um, and that part is how can we improve the revitalization of the land? Can we increase the rate at which it does revitalize and reclaim itself? Um, so there's, there's different aspects of that research that we're looking at, but yeah. You know, that leads me to a question in regards to tourism. Yeah. You notice, you know, when you go to certain towns, small towns, there's always a, a home or a building that's on the, uh, historical you know, list of, you know, historical places with mm -hmm. some of the mines that, um, that have been reclaimed and refurbished. Is there anything going on in Eastern Kentucky, kind of like what happened in, uh, Tazewell County at the other end of the county here. It's Pocahontas mine where they were um, doing renovations and things like that. So the people can actually go in and tour underground. Mm -hmm. I mean, like getting on mm -hmm. the, on, I, I forgot what, you know, it's like a little, little mini train and going through uh, yeah. the mine just to see what it was like, for, you know, for this to preserve the history of it. Because once these are all reclaimed, yeah. a lot of this is going to be forgotten. No one's going to yeah. know what a coal town looked like. It'd be kind of mm -hmm. neat to see you know, replica coal town that was preserved. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Could, uh, you know, 50 years from now, go back and see, hey, this is how we provided energy to our country 150 years ago. And these yeah. are what people did and how they sacrificed yeah. and what their families did. You know, um, that brings me to, or makes me think of this um, experience I had when I was younger. Um, it was near Halloween and um, it was, gosh, probably in 2012. Yeah, or maybe later than that. And anyway, uh, we decided that uh, we would go to this abandoned coal town. And 
I will have to get back with you on the name, but there is a coal town that looks as just people had just got up and left, you know, a year ago. Um, it's still in good condition. So we should uh, look into that and try to. That is that. that is really interesting because I know yeah. just life in general, a lot of the coal towns, there's so much. I think it lost history that people didn't record. I mean, I hate to say like the dark ages, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. sort of in a way in the in the 20s and 30s and even 40s to some degree. A lot of the, the coal towns, when it was a company town, and I've been to like some of these that used to be a company town in yeah. West Virginia and what it is now, but um, they like everything was like to keep the miners placated because everything was so mm-hmm. just working hard and the families had to go to the mm-hmm. company store. So use company script and everything was just mm-hmm. right there in the town. And they, they were kind of beholden to the company, which sort of unfair to the miners, but to keep yeah. the people kind of settled, they brought in entertainment, things like that. A lot of these coal mining towns, they had their own baseball teams back in the, the teens and twenties and thirties. And they would travel around. Like they had certain coal miners that wouldn't do the really dangerous stuff. They did some other things, but they were mm-hmm. good ball players. So they kind of had the cush jobs, mm-hmm. you know, the easy jobs. And then <laughs> they would go and play and they had their own little baseball fields in every town. And that's where the town got together and kind of rallied and kind of built their morale. So they kept morale up around wow. baseball's, you know, America's game back that's in the really cool. early part of that century. And now you can't find photos of any of these, these teams where mm-hmm. the fields were um, mm-hmm. none of this stuff. I mean, you can, you can maybe track down. I've, I've tried to contact several historical societies throughout Eastern Kentucky and Southwest Virginia about this. And I've heard crickets from all of them. Like they, mm-hmm. they don't know, or they're just, they're just not active or not responsive anymore mm-hmm. to the questions. Um, but, but that was such a big part of history. I would, you know, that, that needed to be preserved. Yeah. And I have no idea where we would find that because life was very different for, for yeah. these. People. Um, yeah. Well, I wanted to transition to another question for you because uh, Gary and I were talking about this on the last show about economic development, especially in the coal mm-hmm. fields. We were talking about where there was uh, mountaintop removal. Mm-hmm. And for years, we've talked about why, why are people not putting solar panels, laying solar panels down? Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to see people doing that. Yes. But yeah. in your line of work, um, there could be a lot of money made here locally in cleanup of coal and coal fly mm-hmm. in particular that's dumped in various places, laying on mm-hmm. river sides and things like that. And there are rare, again, it seems like I've read somewhere there are rare earth metals that are in that fly ash if you processed it properly. And these are things that our country needs in uh, national defense and aerospace and even our technology. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? And maybe is there an opportunity in the future for something like that here in central Appalachia? So, I haven't done as much research on that um, as I have with the utilization of reclaimed mine lands itself as, in, as far as tourism. Um, but I have heard talk about um, these rare earth metal, uh, minerals that are, that are in that. Um, and I think the consensus is that there's a halt on that due to um, it's kind of a messy um, uh, situation to extract um, this these rare earth metals or, or um, materials out of it, and that's about of um, as far as I know of 
about that. Um, I can talk probably a little more about the land use and utilization. But um, yeah, it's, I think that it's a possibility, um, you know, and you mentioned solar panels. I don't think that every reclaimed mineland property will be um, suitable, but I think that there's quite a few that are suitable for um, alternative energy, such as um, solar panels. And actually there's um, talk with, you know, some of the coal mining owners and operators moving towards also not just mining, but um, introducing solar panels on the reclaimed lands that they own. So I think that it, it's a good way for them to kind of mitigate or uh, balance really, um, you know, because traditional mining um, for um, non-renewable resources is kind of messy. So if we can start by balancing that out, especially out here in Eastern Kentucky um, with the use of solar and coal, you know, I think it would be kind of an avenue in a way to ease into this transition of utilizing more solar energy in our regions instead of only relying on our non-renewable energies. In your, in your experience, have elected officials been receptive to that? And, and if so, like, where's, I guess, where does it, where does that pushback start? Is it, does it start in Frankfurt and Richmond and the state capitals, but local officials are on mm -hmm. board? How, how does that work in your experience? In my experience, I haven't been on the political side of that at all. Um, I'm sure that I can make, you know, assumptions that they are getting pushback from the government to start utilizing um, their, their industry um, to mine, I want to call it, you know, renewable resources instead of only mining for these non-renewable ones. But I also think that what's really encouraged that would be uh, the public. You know, it's what the people want to see over time. And um, I think that by hopping on this now and saying, hey, you know, our country, our nation, our world is moving to utilize um, renewable energy sources, you know, such as turbines and solar panels. Um, why can we not, you know, get and mitigate the the environmental impacts that, that we're having on the environment. Um, and I think that at least the, the company I'm thinking of really took that responsibility on themselves to make that move and change. Um, and I think it's wonderful that that's happening already in Eastern Kentucky. But yeah, um, that's what, kind of what I think is starting that move and change, being more aware. Yeah, I know as a foundation, we, we take note we're non-political at all, you know, with a, as far yeah. as our foundation. So we don't, don't want to get involved in politics, but the public discussion is what, well, like you mentioned, was a, mm -hmm. a kind of, kind of a driving thing and very important. And you and I have had several discussions about economic growth and development and cultural growth and development here in Appalachia. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that's frustrating, and, I, and I've said this kind of slogan before, but, you know, we, we need, we don't need solutions for Appalachia. But we need mm -hmm. our solutions from Appalachia because Absolutely. at the ground root, at the grassroots, that's where uh, you know change is going to take place. 
mm-hmm. and it's just a matter of you know dragging other other people along for that ride mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there's so many things that we can do to benefit, move forward, and advance here in Appalachia, mm-hmm. and so much opportunity. It's just sometimes people are blind to the past and the frustrations that we mm-hmm. felt that you know that there's a hesitancy to kind of move forward. There's some pockets of Appalachia, in my experience, where you have to pull elected officials kicking and screaming to do anything. Mm-hmm. And then there are other areas of Appalachia that they're very progressive in their thinking and not politically progressive, not, not that term, but they're more willing to step out and like, Hey, let's take a chance. Cause yeah. what's going to happen if we do nothing, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so they're willing to take those chances and, uh, and, it, and it costs money. And mm-hmm. um, that's, you know, that's kind of like the big thing, how much, money are we going to have available but yeah i think people in appalachia and i think that's the biggest barrier there you know yeah. is the is the funding for for appalachia but uh, people want to do things for themselves I, you know as as the communities change in appalachia i want to see a lot of this in, in a perfect world it would be a lot of local ownership and not corporations from outside coming in yeah kind of like with the coal industry and mm-hmm. you know using the resources and then moving out of the region and no job training and mm-hmm. have a lot of people that are stuck in areas with no, no other skills other than coal mining, you know, and mm-hmm. that's a lot of the area, you know, some of the things that we talk about should have been done 40 years ago. Okay. 50 years ago. Yeah. And, um, but you know, these things can change and, you know, it's just a, a matter of will and courage, I think, and, mm-hmm. you know, at a, at a grassroots level, hopefully that mm-hmm. you know, citizens can drag their representatives along with them. Uh, yeah absolutely so we you know we were very fortunate i think to be able to uh, add you to the board with your expertise and 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 general knowledge about everything you know related to this business which has been so important to all of us here in central appalachia just for our economic well-being and survival really Mm -hmm. for decades so um you'd certainly brought with you as we you know we all talked before um just a, a passion maybe you could talk a little bit about that about you know, just, just the passion to see Appalachia succeed and why instead of going away and, and using your skills elsewhere, we could probably have so much more opportunity mm-hmm. that you wanted to stay home to, to do yeah. what you did. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy that you, you brought that up, JC. Um, the, trying to think of where to start at. <laughs> um to be honest, I never really, you know, grew grew up thinking, "Hey, I'm I'm gonna work with uh, the coal mine um, situation in Eastern Kentucky. I'm gonna um, go to school, or I'm I'm gonna only study uh, the coal mining industry." Which is not what to say what I'm doing now, but it's a big part of my life now. And when I was growing up, you know, I always I, I knew about underground mines. I knew about surface mining. We rode dirt bikes on surface mines. Um, and we called it the coal fields, you know, we out on the coal fields. My mom is at work. <laughs> and um, we really got to use the Appalachian Mountains as the best playground to explore and be outside. And I always um, rock hunted. I have rock collections from when I was nine, eight, seven years old. Um, 
And as I, I kind of went out into the world and went to college and I traveled and traveled to different countries, um, I always found myself getting homesick. I always found myself that something just wasn't quite the same, wasn't um, as comforting as um, Eastern Kentucky has. And so over the years, I've, I've tried to pinpoint it. I've tried to pinpoint, you know, what is it specifically about the Appalachian culture um, that, that I miss so much or that I love so much. And I think it's, it's the people. I think it's how we treat one another um, at the end of the day. I had my friends from Philadelphia came. This was, we were probably about 20, 21 years old. And they drove all the way from Pennsylvania through the Appalachian Mountains, all the way down into near uh, Burgey, Kentucky. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And they had never really been out, out before. Um, And we took them camping the first time. Um, I think one of them, it was the first time they ever been camping or fishing. And they're like, you can just, just go out and pitch your tent somewhere. And we're like, yeah. And then, you know, we're, we're done camping and we get up and like, oh, where do you want to go eat? And then our friend, our mutual friends, like, let's uh, go see what what's at my grandma's house. And our two buddies are like, what in the world are they talking about? And so we go to my friend's grandmother's house and go and get in her refrigerator and there's leftovers and we just make everybody a big meal. And to them, they were just amazed that you could just go to go to your grandmother's house just right down the road and and go and make yourself a meal without even really asking you know yeah. it was just yeah. you were always welcome and um, it was the same way you know at my grandmother's house um you know they everybody always has something for you to eat it doesn't matter what it is <laughs> oh that's sweet um, tea sweet tea oh, yeah <laughs> and sweet tea and coffee at eight o'clock at night and donuts um or you you bring your friends over and they're just as welcoming to them as they are uh, for you and they've never met them before. Um, so just just the people in Eastern Kentucky are are one of a kind and unique and some of the most caring and loving folks I've ever uh, got to know. Um, so I think that that's what I've always missed is is we grow up with um, just having compassion naturally just being compassionate for one another and being helpful. That was one thing my poppy always taught me was always be helpful. And I think that goes a long way. Yeah. We, you know, we make for good neighbors and I've lived, you know, in Cincinnati, I've lived in Cincinnati for a year. You know, I lived there for a few years and other than some people that I knew from work, like neighbors didn't really talk much to neighbors except one little Mm -hmm. hangout where I actually, you know, went and met a lot of neighbors, but Yeah. yeah, a lot of neighbors don't know each other. They don't, talk to each other. They would never know if somebody needed help. Mm-hmm. We have that as a, that's a blessing here in Appalachia. People, people are hardworking and they actually care a, a lot. Not that people don't care outside, but you know, it's just a very unique atmosphere, family atmosphere. And I guess I would say to, to younger folks that I know times change. It's very different from when I was a kid to now, you know, I mm-hmm. can see that with my nieces and nephews and, you know, I, I would just, you know, the mindset that we have to have to make sure that we, succeed in Appalachia and, and catch up to where, you know, the rest of the country is economically. I love our culture the way it is. So let's, let's preserve and protect that. But, you know, 
don't look at Appalachia as an obstacle. Look at it as an opportunity. And here yeah. we are Thanksgiving. And we should be very, very thankful that, you know, we live probably in one of the most beautiful places in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, just go for a drive, you know, and, uh, you know, what you're talking about brings up memories from, you know, when I was a kid too. And um, yeah, we, we need to start looking at this place as an opportunity. Actually, Appalachia is an adventure and yeah. people should, should keep that in mind. And where we go in our communities, that's an adventure too. It's never going to be easy. Nothing ever comes easy in Appalachia. And I always heard that phrase growing up, like, if you can make it in New York, make it anywhere. No, 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 no. If you can make it in Appalachia, if you succeed in Appalachia, you can't succeed anywhere. And, yeah. uh, people, we should wear that with a badge of honor, pride. Absolutely. We're resilient. Yeah. Yeah. We, we quite literally are the most resilient folks in the country, I would think, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. There was a really good book that I read called The United States of Appalachia. If you've never had a chance to read that, you might want to uh-huh. check that out. It okay. really talks about how important we as Appalachians are to the growth and the culture and development of the rest of the country because everyone, you know, as the country expanded, coming east, going west, had to come mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. And our culture, they took part of our culture and our ways yes. with them out west. And it's really eye-opening really to see amazing. how much of who we are in Appalachia went outside mm-hmm. of Appalachia, and people don't know it. They don't realize it, you know. You can all you can make all kinds of jokes about you know rednecks, hillbillies, and I, I would refer to who's a blue collar comedy tour guy. There's rednecks everywhere, right? So mm-hmm. you know, we're a great we're a great people, and our culture actually went uh, a lot of places that people just don't realize, even even yeah. out in California where they they you know they they don't realize how much we had an impact on the rest of the nation economically and culturally. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know our. Something that I, I want to mention here, not as a, not to bring it down, but, you know, and this goes for a lot of our coal mining towns in our nation. Um, we have moved our nation um, forward through mining, um, especially during the Industrial Revolution. And we really wouldn't be where we are today. We wouldn't be as technologically advanced as we are and capable of creating newer methods um, to store our energy, like solar Mm -hmm. panels um, and the creation of turbines. And it seems that the communities that the mining um, has occurred in have kind of been forgotten in a way that you know the money didn't really stay in these towns, um, but a lot of other cities were built up with the coal from this town. Yeah, um, many of these towns. But still and, in those buildings, where do they think? How do they think it was made? It was with metallurgy yeah, coal right yeah. here. Yeah, right and uh, here. So, so not only we keep the lights on, I love that little slogan <laughs> on the bumper stickers, but yeah, we we built your skyscrapers. Um, yeah, with, with on the backs of coal. And yeah, the Industrial Revolution, everything that was needed to to win World War One, World War Two. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of this stuff came from the resources right here. And it's sad to see that a lot of companies that were here closed up mines, took their profits, went elsewhere, and then left mm-hmm. a workforce fifty mm-hmm. years behind the rest of everybody else economically. Yeah. And you know, we have the ARC, the Appalachian Regional Commission, and they get grant money, they put money out, but Mm-hmm. You know, 
you can't put a price tag on what I think the rest of the nation owes Appalachia. And nor do Appalachians want free money. I mean, that's that's, no. not, yeah. that's not the yeah. solution. And that's not the, the pride of people I know that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's some there's some things that need to be uh, done as far as opportunity. And you know, hopefully our foundation mm-hmm. will play a part in that going, you know, going forward as we kind of retool and kind of become more of a traditional foundation and you know, seek those monies that we can come in to help other projects around the communities that we that yeah. we support. So we have a broad mission statement. And I would love to see Appalachia be so successful, Tara, that groups like us would never be needed. Absolutely. I want to put myself out of a position. Yeah. <laughs> but that's well, I that's, hope we can encourage our, our yeah. business owners, small business owners to um well, just for one to start up, but you know that they have to have that support. And I think the more that that we talk and share our Appalachian culture, our history, our heritage, how amazing it is to be in Appalachia, just to explore and experience it yourself. Um, I think the more that we we share our stories about um, you know what what folks are doing with something that could be seen as, as ugly and an eyesore, such as reclaim highlands, you know, some folks think that, but our Eastern Kentuckians are uh, resilient and they're utilizing this for ecotourism. You know, they're bringing in um, elk and starting elk habitat. That's going to be, you know, uh, supporting um, tourism, you know, during, during the hunting season um, in certain parts. But um, also, you know, there's folks that's coming from all over just to be on these ATV trails and horseback riding trails. Exactly. Um, Our people are resilient and coming up with ideas. And I just hope that I can be a small contributor, um, maybe just to even help one person um, that that's a local owner, a property owner here um, that, you know, to improve the uh, local economy there for them. For us, for all of us, really. Yeah, it's it's all about paying it forward. Yeah, you know, we've been lucky, mm-hmm. we've been blessed, and you know, not to pay it forward um, would would almost be a, a crime. You know, hey, you yeah, said yeah. you said it perfectly, Tara. Hey, I thank you so much for for coming on and, and introducing yourself uh, to oh, uh, you. the folks mm-hmm. who follow the foundation. And uh, if you're listening today, I encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button on our podcast, and uh, make sure you share it with friends. You can listen to us on. Tara, we're on iTunes. I think we're on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Play, iHeartRadio. We're we're a little bit of everywhere now, so we've expanded uh, our our role out there so people can listen to us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. So make sure you hit subscribe, give us a ranking. Uh, There's topics you want us to talk about. Let us know in the comments. Uh, Follow us on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash support Appalachia. And uh, let's keep the dialogue going, folks. We certainly appreciate it. And Tara, thank you. We look forward to working with you on this board. And uh, um, I will, uh, I just want to kind of shout out to everybody listening. This will be the last episode before Thanksgiving. So everyone have a great Thanksgiving. Tara, anybody you want to throw a shout out to? Oh, just my my family, my friends. Um, I hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving. Um, I'll be heading out to Eastern Kentucky to enjoy the holidays and Go on hikes. So. Uh, enjoy the right yeah. yeah. So hopefully it won't be too cold. I uh, I'll be in Abingdon uh, with my sister and, and some other family, and uh, we were talking before we before we came on here, like how bittersweet the holidays are going to be, and 
you know, mm-hmm. I just kind of wanted, I wanted to miss that because I know a lot of people like they don't, I know this is kind of a harsh way of saying it, a lot of people don't care what people do. They, they, they're more curious about why you do it, you know, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, and getting to know people, you know, as, as who they are. And that makes, makes a big difference other than what they do. And uh, you've had yeah. some losses. And I, I was talking about, I talked on the last episode about one of the original founders that was my sister and we lost mm-hmm. her. And uh, my other sister lost her husband within like three weeks of each other. And this yeah. is going to be a really kind of a bittersweet holiday, but uh, you had some, some losses as well. You were talking about yeah. that. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And how, how important it is, you know, to, to share the, the, or cherish, you know, the time that you get to have with people now. It's not always about the gifts or the food, but, you know, making those memories count and spending quality time together. Yeah. I noticed I've turned into like twice the hugger I used to be. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> um, and I, I, you know, and I know it's kind of weird to say, but it's like I, I, I'm a total hugger now, but um, yeah, I, I don't know, like in my back of my head, I just, you know, it's holidays. Uh, mm-hmm. I told you I nearly lost my mother too. She's had yeah. lung cancer twice. And um, so, you know, anytime I see these folks, family, yeah, just, you know, every, we should all embrace our families and give them a mm-hmm. hug. Actually, I give, every time I see them, I give them each two hugs, one for me and one for my sister that passed. I don't, I never Aww. tell them that, but it's like, you know, it's, that's what I do. They wonder why, like, hey, you just hug me. What are you doing again? You know, but, but that's, yeah. um, I don't know. It, it just somehow means a little more this year that, Yes. being fortunate to have the people we have so yes yeah Absolutely. well everybody thanks again for tuning in Tara we certainly appreciate you and we look forward to seeing you we're going to try Thank to have you. a meeting before Christmas uh over in Norton um so, so, forward uh, to that. so we'll have we have two other board members we'll have on uh on the podcast here hopefully soon Dr. Ernie Binko and then uh Ray Ratliff I've just got to schedule that with those guys and uh I certainly appreciate everybody following us along Tara Everybody's going to get to know a lot more of you. So we'll definitely, we'll do more of these podcasts if you want to. And Absolutely, got JC. I look forward to it. All right. Thank All right. you. Thank you.